Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome aboard the CBS Radio Travel Hour. I'm Peter Greenberg, travel editor of CBS News. And Happy New Year, everybody. I can still say that. We're still in the month of January. Lots of things to talk about, lots of things to predict, a few things to fear. So let's get it started off with the president and CEO of the U.S. Travel Association and a good friend of this show, Mr. Roger Dow. Welcome to the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. He's America's most recognized and respected frontline travel news journalist. And in this podcast, Peter Greenberg holds in-depth interviews with travel industry insiders, giving listeners practical news they can use on topics ranging from the shrinking carry-on luggage allowances to traveling through the Middle East. This is the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. And welcome back to the CBS Radio Travel Hour. I'm Peter Greenberg, travel editor for CBS News. It's a brand new year, a brand new administration, a brand new government. But the one thing that's not changed is the power and impact of the largest industry in the world. And that's the power of travel. No one understands that more than my next guest, the president and the CEO of the U.S. Travel Association, Roger Dow. Roger, welcome. Hey, welcome. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, so let's talk about Happy New Year. Uh, it is a brave new world out there. Uh, you know, there's the, uh, uh, the idea that there's a certain amount of global uncertainty, which may work to our advantage as an administration. There's a certain amount of global fear. Uh, we're living in a, in a world of, um, of terrorism. We're living in a world of economic instability. Uh, the power of the dollar versus the euro, the power of the dollar versus the British pound. The euro right now is a dollar four, could easily be at parity in the next week or two. Um, the British pound I've seen drop from a dollar eighty six to dollar twenty three. So we're looking at, and we've seen the stock market grow uh, by leaps and bounds. Um, you know, flirting with twenty thousand, maybe even beating twenty thousand. Symbolically, that's a big deal. Uh, and in the world of travel, where travel is one of our largest exports, um, you've got to be looking carefully at this as we have a new administration. Uh, we're certainly looking carefully at it. Uh, we're optimistic in that 2016 was the best year ever for travel. So it's going to 2017. We have a huge opportunity to continue to grow, but there's all those headwinds that you mentioned. I mean, the uh, terrorism. I mean, you know, something happens. Uh, it's happened a few weeks ago in uh, Fort Lauderdale uh, like that. Uh, another incident like that can have tremendous negative impact on travel. Uh, the the cost of people coming to the U.S. with the dollar being so strong is good for Americans when we travel overseas, but it makes it more difficult for people to come here uh, to eat in the best restaurants, stay in the best hotels. We're seeing some trading down of people that would be coming from other countries and would normally stay at a Rich Carlton or a Four Seasons or trading down to a Hilton or a Marriott or a Starwood or a Sheraton. So we're beginning to see some of that. So it, it's going to be a, a hopefully good and strong year, but there's a lot of headwinds uh, that we have to be concerned about. Well, one of the things that's growing out there is a concept I didn't, I never heard about six months ago. It's called safe haven travel. People are looking to go 
where they're absolutely convinced nothing's going to happen to them, like Oslo, um, as opposed to, you know, northern Iraq. Um, and at the same time, there doesn't even seem, seem to be any middle ground. One of the areas that's considered trending high for travel for 2017 is tours to Iran, um, which is opening the door because of the economic opportunities that it gives them uh, now that many of the U.S. sanctions have been lifted. So lots of crazy things happening out there. And at the same time, you know, you mentioned the Fort Lauderdale attack, the tragic attack uh, at the airport. That was only exceeded by the really tragic attack in terms of numbers in the nightclub in Orlando. And yet, if you take a look at the numbers of visitors, uh, Orlando in 2016 had its best year ever. There's no question about it. And uh, I think uh, when these things happen, uh, we have to be resilient. Uh, if you, you look at our uh, friends in Israel, uh, when something happens, how quickly they come back. And it, it's sad to say, Peter, but I think we're living in a world that stuff is going to happen. And when stuff happens, we can't cower and sit in our house and lock the doors and hope that uh, nothing happens. We got we got to live life, and uh, and I think that's an important thing that we really have to understand without being silly and taking stupid risks. Right. You know, I'll give you an example. When they had the airport bombing in Istanbul, someone there made the decision, which I thought was a very good decision to keep the airport open, not to close the airport. And that sent a very clear message to the world that they were not going to fold up the tent. Uh, the bombing that happened in the Brussels airport, the reaction was completely different. Uh, they really did fold up the tent for a while. And uh, I mean, really, they, I think they all crawled into the fetal position. And as a result, their bounce back may take longer. There's no question about it. When you looked at Brussels, I mean, it was day after day. Airport still closed, uh, more uh, concern, and it, it just permeated the news. Uh, and uh, there's no question about it. I think you've got to get up and get things going again. Uh, years ago, when one of the big hurricanes hit Charleston, the mayor of Charleston said, I don't care what it is, I'm going to have good news every day. Joe's storage was put in a new front window. So-and-so just uh, whatever. And I think you've got to counteract the negative things with, positive things of saying, yes, the airport is now open. We're not going to be, you know, cowed down by uh, terrorism. We are going to live life and we're going to be smart and we're going to have better security. I guess my best personal example is, is a very recent one. Uh, literally four days after the terrible shooting at the nightclub in, in Istanbul, in which 39 people died, I landed in Istanbul and uh, went by the nightclub. Reina paid my respects. It was a heart-wrenching scene with putting faces to names uh, that were all displayed there in front of the in front of the shuttered building. But at the same time, as I talked to every single hotel manager there, they were operating it. I mean, I had lunch with uh, a hotel manager at a a true five star hotel right on the Bosphorus in their hotel dining room, which is a basically almost a Michelin one star. And we were the only ones in the dining room. And and that was on a Friday. Um, and it goes to show that the reaction is one of people just basically crawling into corners, either in country or in terms of overseas visitors. There's not a single cruise line right now that is calling on Istanbul as a port call. There's not a single uh, tour operator that has basically either suspended or shut down their tour operations. So for me, 
and I wasn't trying to be a cavalier about it in the least. Mm-hmm. I was I wasn't trying to be uh, you know a, a sort of sort of like an Indiana Jones figure. I landed in Istanbul. I went to pay my respects at that club, and then I went out and had a great lunch and a great dinner and and saw friends and did what I would normally have done and what I normally would have done anyway. Um, and and the only thing that disrupted my trip wasn't terrorism. It actually snowed in Istanbul, and the planes were delayed by <laughs> nine hours because, let's put it this way, the words snow removal and Turkey don't really go hand in hand. Um, but the bottom line is, and I've been saying this for years, and it, I don't want to sound insensitive. I want to sound pragmatic. The best time for anybody to go just about anywhere is after they've had a civil disturbance, a civil war, a revolution, an act of terrorism, or a natural disaster. Because in that moment, you will be the conquering hero. You will be warmly embraced because the the, the cause and effect of tourism at that moment is crystal clear. And not only will you be able to support the people who live there, but you'll also be able to immerse yourself in a culture that will be more open than they've ever been to welcoming you. Well, you know, when Hurricane Katrina happened, we were scheduled to have a board meeting uh, in New Orleans. And uh, several of our board members said, we shouldn't go there. It's like firemen going to a fire. And I called the head of tourism for New Orleans, and I said, should we cancel our meeting? He said, please don't. He said, we need you. We were the first meeting to go into New Orleans. And the appreciation that we got from every single restaurateur, the talk shows, everyone of bringing business back to New Orleans, your point is very well made. I mean, they were thrilled that we took the time to say we're going to come to New Orleans. So let's go back full circle now to the to, you know, to the incoming administration. Um, do you actually think they will develop a comprehensive travel policy? I think so. Uh, the uh, the big push is jobs, economy. And as you and I know, there's nothing that can build jobs faster or build an economy than travel and tourism. 25% of the U.S. exports are because of the, uh, the growth in exports is the growth in international travel to the U.S. So hopefully that message, if they're going to want to create jobs and build the economy, we better be a big player in the travel industry to help them do that. Yeah, and, and that involves everybody. I mean, and, and people don't get that. They don't get how many Chinese are going to be traveling. Uh, to the United States. Uh, they don't get how many people aspire to come, regardless of the power of the dollar versus foreign currencies. They still will find a way to come. And as you say, they may trade down, but they're not going to stop coming. No no question about it. People still want to see the Statue of Liberty. They still want to go to the Grand Canyon. They still want to walk our beaches and go to Las Vegas. Uh, so uh, I think we're in for some very good times ahead. We just got to make sure we don't do anything silly moving forward with policy. We're speaking with Roger Dow, the president and CEO of the U.S. Travel Association. Roger, stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk about some predictions for the year 2017. Back right after this. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. 
And welcome back to the CBS Radio Travel Hour. I'm Peter Greenberg, travel editor for CBS News. We've been speaking with our good friend Roger Dow, the president and CEO of the U.S. Travel Association. There's no doubt and there's no argument about the power of travel and tourism. The real question is how is it applied and where do we go in the year 2017, knowing full well that it's almost inevitable there'll be another terrorist act somewhere in the world in the next 11 months. There'll be you know, certain Americans killed either by acts of political terrorism or violence or, you know, we see this every year. And I, and I always, it, it, it's sort of like, it's, 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 it's like doing the same puzzle over and over again. Every year there's always a fire at a hotel where half the exits are blocked and people die and people then respond to shock and indignation. How did this happen? But it doesn't stop you from going. Um, every year uh, there will be even though we've had the most remarkable 15-year period of aviation safety in the history of commercial aviation, every year there will be somewhere around the world a plane crash in which people die. Although I will say that in the year 2016, it was absolutely remarkable about what didn't happen other than uh, what we would call planned fatalities, where the pilot commits suicide, or, or, or the Russians shoot down, or someone shoots down the Malaysian airline plane over the Ukraine. Other than those incidents in the last couple of years, it's been an unbelievably safe operation. But still, you need to go into every year saying, okay, there's at least going to be something. But is that going to be enough to change our travel plans? What do you think, Roger? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, if, we, if we're optimistic about it, if we understand the statistics, but fear, as I've said many times, is a big challenge, and we've got to make sure that people understand that the an instance that happens is not what's happening every day everywhere in the in the world. So I, I hope not, but uh, I'm always concerned about these these incidents uh, taking on a life of their own. Well, and you know, one of the more recent ones just happened right after the first of the year, where a guy gets on a plane in in, in Alaska, uh, checks in his his weapon, checks in his ammunition, changes planes, and then flies on to Fort Lauderdale, retrieves his baggage, baggage, his bag at baggage claim, it comes off the carousel, opens the bag, loads the gun, and starts firing. Um, it's, and, and those are very powerful video images, which we've all seen, of hundreds of passengers running in every direction possible on the literal runways of, of uh, the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood Airport. No question about it. Totally insane. And, uh, but unfortunately, this is the world we're living in. And as you said earlier, it will not be the last time, sadly, around the world that things like this will happen. You know, I happen to think that, at least in the European side of things, those travelers tend to be more intrepid, and uh, which was reflected in the Orlando figures we talked about, that they didn't refuse to come. They continued to show up. There's no question about it. And... Uh, I hope that will be the case. Uh, again, uh, it's great things happen with travel. Travel is one of the best ways to build understanding around the world. I mean, you and I travel all over the world, and as we travel around the world, we get to meet people that have the same needs, the same wants and desires as we do. And so travel is, I think, the ultimate public diplomacy. Well, speaking of that, considering the bromance between uh, President Trump and uh, Vladimir Putin, um what do you think? You think we're going to do a special travel deals to Moscow? <laughs> Red Square is always nice, except this time of year. <laughs> but, 
But but seriously, I mean, you know, we, it, it's interesting. When you take a look at American presidents of the last 50 years, when an American president traveled overseas, it created tremendous interest and curiosity about Americans who'd want to go there. Uh, whether it was Kennedy in Berlin, uh, whether it was Nixon in China, whether it was uh, Reagan uh, in, in Russia. Um, I mean, it's, it's amazing to see that impact. So it will also be interesting for me, at least, as someone who's covered the White House before, and of course, covering the world of travel, to see where Donald Trump takes his first international trip. I hope he takes lots of trips internationally, and I hope he takes a lot around the U.S. And I also take, hope the president takes a lot of vacation. He, he said that he's not going to take any vacation, and uh, that's a bad signal, because uh, we've got to recharge our batteries, and I don't want the president of the United States telling people they should be staying home and working 24-7. Of course, effective uh, just about now, uh, the president has to downgrade. He has to go from his 757 <laughs> to, uh, to Air Force One. And uh, where there's no gold leaf and not a lot of white leather, um, it'll be interesting to see how he, he makes the adjustment because having been on that plane, yes, it's a 747. Yes, there's a conference room. Yes, there's a presidential bedroom. Yes, there are better staff seats on that plane than the old 707 that was Air Force One. It's still a relatively Spartan layout. Well, I haven't been on it yet, Peter. So next time you're on, will you bring me along with you? I will, but you will be surprised at how bare bones it is. You know, other heads of state, you know, some of their planes have difficulty taking off because of all the gold on board, you know, the gold (laughs) fixtures. Um, No, seriously, some of these planes can't even make their performance uh, guarantees from the manufacturer because they added on so many heavy pieces of metal. Um, I remember being on on a, a huge corporate jet about the size of Donald Trump's a couple of years ago, and I, I couldn't believe it that the walls around the windows, the chairs, uh, were all white Hermes leather. And I mean, the, the most impractical thing you could think about on an airplane, or on a boat, for that matter. And I remarked to my friend who, whose plane it was, I said, are you serious? All this is white Hermes leather? What, I mean, doesn't it get dirty? He says, oh, no, we have two guys whose only job it is 24-7 is to clean the leather. Um, that won't be an issue on Air Force One simply because not a whole lot of leather. <laughs> and it ain't white. Um, it'll be interesting. To, and, of course, for, for those who may not know this, it is a federal requirement that the President of the United States travel on a U.S. Air Force plane that is equipped with a state-of-the-art Top secret secure communications package, a um, a, a state of the art uh, deflection package in terms of uh, uh, deflecting missiles, uh, nuclear bomb blasts, um, and not to mention there's the other rule, Roger, that a president cannot fly on long haul flights on anything other than a four engined plane manufactured in America. Well, last time I looked, there's only one four-engine plane manufactured in America, and that would be the 747, which George Bush won, took delivery of in 1989. It was built for the Reagan administration, but he never flew it. So that plane is 20, almost 29 years old now. The one that George Bush one flew, that Clinton flew, that George Bush two flew, and that Obama has flown. And now, as of right this minute, 
President Trump will fly. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. Uh, every president gets to redecorate the White House. I don't know of a single president except one that redecorated Air Force One. Do you know who that president was? Hmm. No. It's a very funny story, and the ironies here cannot be uh, soft-pedaled. It was LBJ. LBJ got on that 707 and had them install a special hydraulically lifted desk and chair so that when you came into the presidential compartment to see him, the chair and the desk were raised so that you always looked up at him. Oh my gosh. Uh, but but the most ironic thing about seven about, about the seven oh seven, which was then Air Force One, is Johnson had also installed a top secret uh, clandestine tape recording system, so he could listen in and eavesdrop on everybody's conversation on, in the back of the plane. So if he invited a senator on board, he knew exactly what the senator was thinking before the plane ever landed, and. Wow. And a lot of people lost their jobs during the Johnson administration quietly because LBJ heard things he didn't like. Now, here's the irony. Richard Nixon becomes president on January 20th, 1969 and rides on Air Force One out to San Clemente. What does he discover on the plane? The throne desk and chair. And he discovers the surreptitious tape recording system and Nixon ordered the tape recording system to be removed from the plane. Isn't it funny he forgot to do that in the Oval Office? I was just and that's, say he didn't say it all the way. He didn't do it all the way, no. Um, but that's about the only de- redecoration that presidents have ever done on the plane. I mean, there are certain other little touches. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan brought in jelly beans. Um, you know, uh, and also M&M peanuts uh, with the presidential seal, I might add. Uh, but that's about it. So it'll be interesting to see what Trump is going to do on that on that plane, especially since he's already yelling at Boeing about what the projected costs are for the replacement planes, which after 28 years, they got to do. There's, there's not well, much no, of a choice here. No, I don't think they have a choice. Uh, he's beating down the price a little bit, but no, that, that's an old plane that... With all those things, President of the United States, I want him flying around on a very, very good new plane. Although, I will say this, Roger, in 28 years, that 747 has had as many cycles, that means takeoffs and landings, as American, United, or Delta would put on one of their 757s in three months. That's what I was thinking, yep. So it's like having the old... uh, Mercedes, it's only been driven on Sundays by the little old lady. Exactly. The little old lady who happens to sit in the old office. <laughs> but it'll be so with all of, of uh, you know, all of Trump's finger wagging at Boeing saying, I don't want this, cancel the project. This is one where he doesn't have a choice. It's, de- it's determined by the Defense Department, the Secret Service, and all the other intelligence agencies, not to mention the Air Force themselves, as to what any president would have to have to be accepted to travel around the world uh, representing this country. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I will tell you that uh, I flew on Air Force One with Reagan uh, when he was president, the old 707, which you can now go visit at the Reagan Presidential Library in California. And uh, last year, uh, I went out to see it. 
And it was amazing because it's it's right there. It's 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 enclosed in the building, as pristine as it was when it flew the you know when it, when it flew Reagan. And what was interesting to me was I got special permission to go on the plane and to go back and sit in my seat. And that was bizarre because because you realize once you sit in that seat in the year two thousand and sixteen how small that 707 really was flying the head of the United States and the symbol of our country all around the world compared to what we're doing now with the 747. No question about it. I've been on that plane uh, at the Reagan Library, which is a great place to visit, by the way. It's a fabulous library. But I was so impressed uh, by how almost Spartan it was compared to today's standards. Oh, very Spartan. And... Uh, the other thing that Trump's going to have to get used to is there's an Air Force mess on board, and the menu's somewhat limited. Uh, we're talking tuna fish sandwiches, egg salad sandwiches, um, and something that people don't realize that anybody on that plane who orders a meal has to pay for it. How about that? So it'll be interesting to see uh, how much... Uh, oh, the, the funniest one of all, I'll give you the funniest one of all. When Nixon was president... Uh, Air Force One would always go from San Clemente back to Andrews Air Force Base, but at least once a month, it would make an unscheduled stop in Denver, Colorado. Now, the plane certainly had the range to go nonstop between California and Washington, D.C. The right. reason the reason why it stopped was it, it, it stopped in Denver to pick something up. What would they stop to pick up? Are you ready? Cases well, of Coors beer. What Cases Coors beer. of Coors beer <laughs> because Coors wasn't distributed nationally at that time and they developed a liking for the for the beer back at the White House. So the plane would come up with some stupid excuse to have to stop in Denver and on the ground a truck would show up and they just load case after case after case of Coors beer and the plane would then take off with Nixon back to Washington. There you go. <laughs> well, so, don't have to worry about that with Trump. He doesn't drink. He doesn't drink, but he eats a lot of KFC, so let's see what happens. <laughs> In any case, Roger, it's a new year, it's a new president, uh, it's a new vision, good, bad, or ugly, it's going to be entertaining to say the least, and at least the one thing we can say is that the president understands more than other incoming presidents uh, the world of travel, and let's face it, he's the only president before he became president, who had his own plane to begin with. Absolutely. We're, we're thrilled that he understands our business. It's going to be positive. <laughs> Roger Dow, the president and CEO of the U.S. Travel Association. Roger, thanks so much for joining us. And when we come back, my thoughts on the new year ahead, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Back right after this. Network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. Welcome back to the CBS Radio Travel Hour. I'm Peter Greenberg, travel editor for CBS News. Lots of interesting stuff there from Roger Dow. And now it's my turn to give you some of my predictions and, yes, some of my fears of what travel's got in store for us in 2017. First, let's talk about mergers and acquisitions. Uh, Alaska Airlines still trying to figure out how they're going to absorb Virgin America. And it's more than just operations. It's their computer systems. So remember this. 
Last year, Southwest, Delta, and United all had computer meltdowns, all related to, well, computer glitches and some of it involving still trying to merge operations from previous acquisitions. So be careful about that. The second thing we got to worry about this year is prices. Uh, the good news is prices are going to come down on transatlantic flights because guess what? More competition. And not just to major U.S. cities, but the secondary U.S. cities like Fort Lauderdale or New Orleans or Memphis or Las Vegas. Lots of different ways to get to where you need to go, not with stops, but long haul, uh, basically nonstop flights. So that's good. And then I know everybody's been talking about it, so I'll talk about it as well. There's Cuba. You know, ever since the door opened up with Cuba, everybody's still being lined up to figure out who can be in there next. And things are going relatively slow. Only one U.S. cruise line was approved to go to Cuba by the, by the government, and that was uh, Fathom, which is part of the uh, uh, Carnival Corporation, their ship, the Adonia. And they're only sailing in once every two weeks. But interestingly enough, and there's some irony here, the election of Donald Trump may have fueled some fears that he might close that door. So instead, the Cuban government has been racing to swing open that door even wider and faster. So guess what? They just granted at least six more cruise bans the opportunity to go to Cuba this year. And they did it before Trump took office. Uh, so right now, you've got Norwegian Cruise Holdings. They've received approvals for NCL, Regent Seven Seas, Oceania to sail to Cuba. Royal Caribbean has going, also gotten in there with their ships. That's not just the RCCL brand, but also Azamara. And what that means is now Cuba will be seeing not one ship every other week. They'll see six ships every week. And it's been so crazy that, the, and this has happened so quickly, that the cruise lines have had to completely revamp their itineraries and, in fact, cancel some to be able to substitute Cuba to get those ships in there in time. So giving you that heads up that, at least for the moment, there is more availability for you uh, to go to Cuba. Now some other crazy news. If it seems like your flight is full, uh, by the way, it is, and if it seems like it's more crowded, you're right again. Think about this. The average flight now has 142 seats on board. That's compared to the 137 seats just two years ago. Now, that's just five more seats, but it makes a big difference in terms of pitch. That's the distance between the seat in front of you and your knees, which are already against your neck. And, this, of course, the seats themselves have become less wide. Actually, they never were wide. They're just more skinny. But it's more than just skinnier seats. The bathrooms have become skinnier, even if that doesn't even seem to be physically possible. And the galleys are getting more narrow. But guess what, boys and girls? The aircraft manufacturers are just getting started to serve the needs of airlines trying to reap as much revenue as they can for every single flight. Airbus already plans to boost the maximum number of passengers on its A320 planes from 180 to 189 passengers. And on their A321 jets, it's going to go from 220 to 240. So let's do some math here and some basic physics. Your flight will not only be more uncomfortable, but if you're sitting near the rear of the plane when the plane lands, get out of book. Relax. You're going nowhere. It's going to take you at least five to eight more minutes to get off that plane if that flight is full. And by the way, guess what? It will be. Uh, so there you go. Now, one more item here for uh, 2017. If you're a hotel stayer or a frequent stay person, meaning are you a member of a hotel frequent stay award program? So many of you are. Uh, are they following the airline's lead and making it more difficult to, to earn miles? And then, of course, 
even redeem them, or in their case, points? Well, there's been a survey or two done on which, air, which hotel programs are the most lenient, are the nicest in terms of redeeming your points for stays. Guess who wins? Wyndham. You know what? Pretty good. And guess who's right behind them? Best Western. And the reason why Best Western scored so well is they're the only hotel program that we can find that doesn't let your points expire because of account inactivity, which means you have more options. Uh, not a bad deal. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you should hold on to these points. Remember, if the hotels are following the airline's lead, and let's face it, they are, sooner or later they will all do this, the value of these points will start to diminish over time. So use them. Don't hoard them. And as I've said before, and I'll say it again, I don't trust uh, the airlines and hotels as airlines or hotels, so why would I trust them as banks? Uh you earn nothing other than bragging rights for telling somebody how many points you have or how many freaking flyer miles you have. If you don't use them, you're an idiot. Now, some of us feel like idiots when we try to use them. I get that. But there are creative ways around that. Uh, remember this. Everybody seems to have the same bucket list of where they want to go. Why do you think Americans love France as their number one vacation destination, not just this year, not just last year, for the last 20 years? Because you're all failed art history majors. You studied the painting in school and said, oh, I better go visit it. So you all say you want to go to Paris. And then you all want to go to the Louvre. And then you stand in line. Then you get inside and you come out and you go, oh, it's so small. Yeah, I know. The Louvre, the Louvre is, is big, but the Mona Lisa is a little small. And that's followed by Hawaii and then Italy and Spain and the usual suspects. There are 196 countries in the world. Every airline now of substance is a member of a strategic alliance. One world. Sky team or the biggest one of all, star. Get creative. Get a map out. Throw out that bucket list. Pick a place you've either never been to or even better, never wanted to go. Now, I'm not suggesting Syria, so let's not get silly here, but there are great places you can go there where there still is seat availability for award tickets and room availability for hotel point redemption. That's what you want to do. And you can think as far out as 330 days. So get creative, have some fun, Make it work, all right? Because at the end of this year, I can almost guarantee you the value of your points and the value of your miles will be diminished exponentially. It's the nature of the game right now. And no hotel and no airline is under any federal monitoring or mandate to maintain the quality or the value of those points or miles. They can do whatever they want. It's in their rules. So if you want to win, you got to beat them at their own game playing by their rules. So look, 330 days out, pick a place nobody in your lifetime wants to go to, and then go there. And other than four or five places which are completely conflicted with civil war, disturbances, or terrorism, you're going to do just fine. And then you get bragging rights because you actually got the chance to redeem those miles and points. You got to go there, and you actually had to give, get a great experience. How bad could that be, Right? All right, now, here's my next item up for bids. And to me, I get angry when people get focused on two words, younger demo. Everybody wants to know about the younger demo when it comes to travel. What are millennials wanting to do? Well, you know what? That doesn't really speak to most of the people who travel and most of the people who spend money. So you can get trapped by that. But let's talk about some of the surveys that came back about research on millennials and their travel habits. Expedia just did a program with uh, 
with this and some revealing insights. 68% of millennials begin their travel planning online. Okay, not a big surprise there. And more than half use their smartphones or tablets while they're traveling. Okay, no surprise there. Now consider this. A survey done by the Bank of America showed that nearly 4 in 10 millennials, I love this part, say they interact more with their smartphones than they do with their loved ones when they travel. Now, what does it say about their smartphones, or even worse, what does it say about their loved ones, or even worse, what does it say about them? But another interesting trend, 42%, and this is interesting to me, because it's going to change the way some of the travel operators are going to provide opportunities, 42% of the millennials will consider two or more destinations when planning their trips and will go to one or more, meaning more than one. And what does that mean? They're no longer thinking of destinations in one-dimensional terms, and they're trying to bookend their trips. So it's no longer the idea of going someplace for seven to 10 days and sitting on the beach and communing with your beach chair. Uh, they want to do more things. They want to be physically active. They want to have more genuine, authentic experiences. And what that means, uh, the travel industry is trying to be creative here and offering multiple uh, destination itineraries, and they're doing it more competitively. And millennials, notwithstanding, that's good news for all of us. So get ready for that this year. And speaking of 2017, this is the year of the new cruise ship. I've talked about this before. In 2016, every shipyard in the world was full to capacity, working on building new ships, 56 of them to be exact, of every size and pedigree. Well, this year, uh, there will be at least 10 new cruise ships coming out in, like, in the next four months. Uh, Seaborne launches their new Encore. That's a 600-passenger ship. The one I'm looking forward to is the Silver Sea Muse that's coming out in April. That's an ultra-luxury small passenger ship. Again, about 600 passengers. And they're going to have very cool restaurant choices. And I can tell you from experience, their pizza <laughs> is the best. Um, Norwegian introduces its new Joy. Not for us, but for the Chinese market, dedicated to Chinese cruisers only. But here's the cool thing they put on this ship, and if it works, they'll probably put it on other ships it comes complete, this ship, with a go-kart racetrack on the deck. Wow. Talk about injuries. Well, forget that. But MSC is bringing out their Meraviglia in June. I was actually at the shipyard when they were building it. Uh, and that comes complete with a 262-foot synthetic LED sky above the interior promenade. And they've got Cirque du Soleil performances inside that promenade. Talk about acrobatics. And then later in the year, MSC comes out with an even bigger ship, their seaside. And what's interesting about that, yes, it's got a complete water park. Other ships have that. But here's an interesting first. And this is going to be for the Caribbean market. So and it's obvious why it's the Caribbean market, because of sun. A complete wraparound alfresco boardwalk that goes all around the ship. That's never been done before. Now, most of the new ships are already sold out. And that's not a surprise. Everybody wants to be first on their block, and they want to book that inaugural cruise. Okay, you don't have to be first on your block to do that, but you can be first in your brain to figure out law of supply and demand. What that means is go to a cruise line and look at their ships that are two, three, and four years old. They're going to have excess capacity. They're going to have discounts, and they're going to have great cruises. Pick one of those cruises. 2017, I guarantee you, will be a buyer's market for smart travelers. Stick with me. I'm going to come back with more of the CBS Radio Travel Hour right after this. featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. 
And welcome back to the CBS Radio Travel Hour. I'm Peter Greenberg, travel editor for CBS News. If you're just joining us, I've been giving you my predictions of the best, the worst, the ugliest, the most, the most fearsome uh, things we should be aware of for travel in this new year. So let's keep going. Uh, and it's not all bad. It really isn't. Uh, think about this. I happen to believe we're in the midst of a perfect storm when it comes to airline travel, because especially overseas, we have surging capacity and dropping ticket prices. Now, we're not talking about the U.S. market. We're talking about everywhere outside the U.S. market. And think about this. Expedia and the Airlines Reporting Corporation recently analyzed millions of airline tickets, and I mean millions of them, and information that covered more than 12 billion passenger flights in order to come up with what we can expect in air travel in 2017. And guess what? The research indicated that economy class average ticket prices are dropping across the world. And that, coupled with an increase in airline seat capacity outside the United States, remember I said it's outside the U.S., means that those low prices may be here for a while, especially on international flights. But the study also revealed the obvious, that booking 21 days in advance still gives you the best chance of a substantial discount, and as much as 34% on flights to Europe. And if you can find it 21 days in advance, the prices come down about 17% on domestic flights. So that's good news. And the reason is because it may not just be a seasonal situation. These fare uh, drops may be good because of the U.S. dollar strength against so many foreign currencies. This may be good for at least six months. So that's a happy new year beginning. And uh, I like that. Speaking of airfare drops, in Asia, there's a major war going on. Think about this. It's not about whether or not you're going to fly to Asia. It's about whether you want to, if you don't mind flying through Asia to get to where you want to go. Think about this. China Southern Airlines has a flight. You want to go to, you want to go to Australia from the U.S.? China Southern Airlines has a flight that stops first in Guangzhou before heading to Sydney. That's from the U.S., and that's at a significant discount. Recently, I love this one, Air China offered a $399 round-trip ticket from New York to Tokyo, Seoul, or Hong Kong, if you didn't mind stopping first in Chengdu. Hey, $399 round-trip, I'll stop in two more places. You can't beat that. And then there's the sleeper, Hainan Airlines. They have opened, while everybody else was sleeping, 75 new long-haul routes since 2006. And one of them now includes China to Las Vegas. Now, if you want to fly from New York to Bangkok, I'll give you some real good price comparisons here. A ticket on China Eastern, which offers then a stop or requires a stop in Shanghai, will cost you about $570. That's $145 less than flying United through Hong Kong. Now, in many cases, and the math is easy here, the discounts are about 30% or more. Once again, this will probably be good for the next six months. Not a bad deal. All right, now let's shift over to cruise lines again because this one is, uh, to me, a real win-win. What's the fastest area of growth in the cruise industry? It's river cruises. Now, let me give you an idea of how fast this segment is growing. Last year, there were 18 new river cruise ships. That's a 10% increase over the year before, and it'll, it'll, it'll continue this year. And river cruises are not just for aging baby boomers anymore. Multi-generational families are now booking river cruises. And one cruise line is starting, that's Uniworld, by the way, is starting to offer river cruises for millennials. And it's not just the traditional European river cruises we're talking about. South America, there are new river cruises on the Amazon, in China, on the Yangtze, 
And yes, there are new river cruises finally in America. New river boats on the Mississippi and out in the Pacific Northwest on the Columbia River. Now, the best part of these river cruises has always been the best part of these river cruises. The ships are relatively small. They're carrying less than 150 passengers on the river cruises. On the river boats, they're a little bit bigger on the Mississippi. But on the, on the river cruises, just about 150 people or less. They go at a slower pace, which I like. And they're going to destinations that mass tourism ships, they physically can't get there. They're too big. And where are they going? To places where history was made. And the nice part, where history still lives. So that's good. Now, we're seeing disruption everywhere, right? We're seeing it in the airline business. We're seeing it in the hotel business with new builds, new brands. And guess what? We're going to see it again this year. Uh, disruption. But the disruption is going to start with other things. And, uh, you know, you just have to be aware of what you're up against. So let's think about this. What metrics do you use to talk about your favorite places? Right? I mean, and, and, and don't just say, I want to go someplace to relax or veg out. What does that mean? It means nothing because everybody has a different definition of that. So how do you determine your favorite place? To me, by the way, I get this asked every single day. What's your favorite place? Well, I don't have one, but I do have a metric I use to determine those that become my favorite places. And it's very simple. It's where I sleep the best. Think about that. Where do you sleep the best? And where you sleep the best will determine something else. It'll be where you think the best, where you create the best, where you love the best, um, and where you always want to return because it means so much. And many of you may have more than one. I do. But I know at least you have one. And that's your special place. And when you start, you know, deconstructing it, what comes out? It's where you sleep the best. Well, there's another metric you can use. How about warm-heartedness or kind-heartedness or caring? Where are the places in the U.S., for example, that are considered the most caring and kind cities? Places you might want to travel to or, if you're thinking about it, you might want to move to and live there permanently. Well, they just did a survey that, you know, and it didn't just look at, you know, crime rate or cost of living or healthcare facilities or mass transit infrastructure. It looked just at compassion compassionate cities. It was 100 of the largest U.S. cities. They looked at it across 32 key metrics, from homelessness to the percentage of income that the locals donated to charity to special education uh, teachers per capita, things like that. And I know that most of you may know that I went to the University of Wisconsin. I'm partial to a city called Madison, Wisconsin, which I think is one of the all-time great cities in the U.S. I was so heartened to learn that the number one city considered the most compassionate, warm-hearted city in America was Madison. You know what, what followed Madison? Lincoln, Nebraska, then Virginia Beach, then Memphis. In Memphis, the city has the highest share of income donated to charity. By the way, you know who the lowest is? Laredo, Texas. Virginia Beach boasts the most number of volunteering hours per capita. The people who live there really want to give back. Which city's got the fewest number of hours for volunteers? This one surprised me, New Orleans. Now, if you want to talk about good neighbors, we're back to Wisconsin again, not Madison, but Milwaukee. The folks in Milwaukee represent the highest share of residents who do favors for their neighbors. So if you're going to get a flat tire, hey, make it happen in Milwaukee. 
Now, which city doesn't do so well in that department of doing favors for neighbors? Milwaukee is four times more likely to have people do favors for their neighbors than Phoenix. So stuff like that, you need to know about. Uh, all these things get down to one thing. You have limited time. You have limited opportunities. You want to make important, intelligent, reasoned choices where you travel, when you travel, and not, let's, let's not forget why you travel. So think about those things as opposed to the size of your hotel room or, uh, you know, how big, you know, your, your seat's going to be on the plane. I think the best approach to travel in 2017 is to realize we just got to get there, right? We just got to grin and bear it, and then we get there. So the mode of transportation and how we get there is less important to getting there and then making the important choices of what we really want to do there experientially that'll make a difference, not only necessarily in our lives, but in the lives of the people we care about and the people we meet. Uh, that's a pretty good New Year's resolution for me. So think about that. Uh, you know, it's not about the airline food. <laughs> nope. It's not about the rich leather seats. Nope. It's not about, you know, airport delays. You're going to have them. It's not about airline delays. You're definitely going to have them. It's not about weather. It's going to happen. Uh, you're going to just have to go through a winter where your plane's going to have to be de-iced. It happens every year. There's, there are no surprises here. You're going to have to go through a, a season where there'll be crowds at the airport and security lines that don't move. You're, it's going to happen. We haven't figured that part out. But let's talk about what we can control. The choices that we make as to where we want to go, why we want to go, and what we want to do when we get there. And in that department, you can make a very, very big difference to your own experience and the people you care about. I hope that's helpful. And that concludes this edition of the CBS Radio Travel Hour. I'm Peter Greenberg, travel editor for CBS News. And uh, let me know uh, where you sleep the best. You can always reach me on our website, petergreenberg.com. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.